This is Main Street on Prairie Public. I'm Ashley Thornburg with Craig Blumenshine. And once a week, root seller Sue joins us to talk about food. Sue, thanks for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me. Sue, I've, I've cheated and looked ahead. Boy, this is going to be a lesson in this version of Main Street Eats. I'm looking forward to it. Well, you know, I was thinking we were talking about recipe success, and I forgot to mention one really key important ingredient in recipes, and that is you need to know what they're saying to you. (laughs) Um, And I thought about this because I remember uh, somebody that went to chef school that said they wanted... um, the main chef said, you know, to mince onion. Well, there's several ways to mince onions. You know, there's a French way, and then there's the mm-hmm. other way, and then there's my way where I put in a little food processor <laughs> and yeah. chop the crap very, out Very, very quickly, what's the difference between mincing and dicing and chopping? Um, mincing is teeny, teeny, tiny pieces. And then chopping, of course, can be larger pieces or slices. And what was the other one? Mince, dicing. Ch- dicing. Chopping. Mincing, dicing, chopping. Mincing, teeny, tiny Dicing little tiny squares, you know, think about okay. dice, little tiny squares, oh. but but you don't have to make it, you know, mincing an onion brings out lots of the juice because you're really chopping that up fine. And, you know, the, I don't think that those chefs use food processors when they mm. do this. I think oh, they do so it handy, with though. a knife. <laughs> and then, of course, when I chop onions, they're huge pieces, and I'm the only person that likes that big, chunky onion. Mm. Oh, good. Absolutely. <laughs> Love onions. <laughs> so do I. And, you know, onions, part of fire cider like we talked about last week they're really good for you um and they used to say that the well part of the northern european culture is onions Mm -hmm. and garlic and stuff like that and i wonder if that isn't why their um longevity is Mm. 105 years old things like that so i I don't know that i want to make 105 but i'm shooting for 85 or 95 anyway we're right there rooting with you too so when it comes to successful reading a recipe like you said you you have to kind of know what that is and why to do it blanching is one that comes up pretty often how does someone blanch and why would you want to blanch well if ever you freeze any vegetables Blanching is a quick dip in boiling water and then back into cold water to stop the cooking. Um, You can blanch other things. Um, Well, actually, my shallots are tiny this year, so rather than struggling to peel them, I will blanch them for like less than a minute in boiling water. Hmm. And I'll do that by just dumping the water over the shallots, and those skins will slide right off. Now, when you do it for freezing, of course, you're killing bacteria that will further deteriorate mm-hmm. your green beans or your corn or whatever. And like I said, you you don't want to leave it in that hot water very long, and you definitely want to put it into, usually when you're freezing things, ice water right away to stop mm-hmm. that action. Because as you know, things continue to cook. You know, your steak mm-hmm. will continue to cook when Gotta you let pull it rest, out. Right? right. Yeah. Your eggs will continue to cook. People always give me crap because I pull the eggs out running. They're like, they're not done yet. I said, give them a minute. They'll, They'll be done. Be done. Yeah. Um, and these things come with practice, you know. Mm-hmm. So then as opposed to blanching, boiling something mm-hmm. would be cooking something in uh, 212 degrees, which is the boiling point of water. And there's a difference between boiling your soup bones and simmering them. If you're mm-hmm. boiling them, you're losing a lot of flavor up into the distillation that happens in the air. But if you're simmering, that should be down very low mm-hmm. and just 
the tiny little surface bubbles every once in a while. And Can, then your flavor stays in your soup stock. Does it matter, Sue, when you're just, let's say it's just water and you have to bring it to a simmer. Is it better to just start on one temperature and let it slowly get to the bubbles? Or is it better, does it matter to bring it to a full boil and then turn it down to a simmer? I would not bring it to a full boil and turn it down, okay. mostly because my cookware is really heavy-duty stainless steel, and they do not recommend ever using high heat with that cookware. Mm. So you might want to think about, A, the cookware that you're using, and B, it would really be hard to, I think, control it if you brought it up to a full boil and then turned it back down again. But yeah, you should never use really, really high heat when you're cooking anything. And I know that from experience. (laughs) (laughs) Well, then the next one you want to talk about uh, talks about moist heat. So it's braising meat. What is a moist heat and and how do you braise something? Um, That would be kind of like, you know, if you have like really tough meat, before I put it in the oven, I will put it in a pan and kind of sear all the edges of it first and then I would add um, the water to it. Is this different than in in my grill when I set a cup of apple juice over to the side and I'm smoking my brisket for hours and hours and hours and getting it humid? Is that different? That would be like cooking with a moist heat. So that is a little bit different. Um, And then of course there's a bon marie Bon a water Ray, bath, yeah. A water bath mm-hmm. that you'd use in baking, which is the addition of water into the oven, or when you're making crusty bread. Mm-hmm. So there's a difference between a dry heat when you're cooking, definitely, and then that moist heat. But yeah, braising something, um, I would just um, sear it on the outside. Searing, that would be high temperature in your frying pan, dropping your meat in, searing it. And then braising it like a roast. You would braise a roast and put it in Mm. the oven with the um, long and slow and water in the bottom. And onions and carrots. And (laughs) And 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 garlic, you know, all that kind of good stuff. What's the difference between a broth and a stock, Sue? Um, I would say that a broth is a stock. <laughs> okay. Okay. No, in the Venn actually, diagram, a broth is a stock, but a stock st- is not a broth? Right. <laughs> a stock, blah, blah, blah. A broth has um, stuff in it, and stock is what you start with to make a broth. So, like, let's say, oh, and here's something, too, if you're making beef. And I did not know this. All my life, I've been, you know, making soup stock and just mm-hmm. recently learned that you should boil your beef bones first and skim all that icky scum off of there. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, my gosh. It makes a huge difference in the final product. And then you dump that icky water off and roast them in the oven, and that kind of caramelizes some of that bone marrow and stuff Mm. in there. And then you bring them to a simmer. Now, that would be your soup stock. But if you want to make a broth, like for a broth bowl or noodle soup or something, mm-hmm. oh, wait, it have to be vegetable if it's beef stock. Um, that's when you can add your bay leaf and your allspice mm. and your onion and your garlic. And my mom, in all her years of cooking, had soup at my house one day and said, I don't understand how come your vegetables are so crispy or firm. And I, I said, because when you make soup, you leave those vegetables that you cooked in your stock in the soup. I said, you got to take all that stuff out. Let your soup cool in the fridge. Skim the fat off because the flavor is there. You don't need that fat anymore. And then you mm. add fresh vegetables to that. And that way your vegetables you can cook to your desired. I like 
crispy food or crunchy mm-hmm. food. I like to chew when I eat, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like yeah, bread yeah, yeah. that's chewy. Yeah, I like, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, some people like really mushy food. Not me. Not me. Yeah, texture's a, texture's a big thing. So pick one, Craig. Deglaze. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you guys. Oh, we got some farm chickens. And so I spatchcocked a chicken the other day. And I thought, you know, we're trying not to overeat all the time. You know, my husband's trying to lose a little weight. So I thought, okay, I'm going to make mashed potatoes, but I'm not going to do the gravy. But when I took that chicken out of the oven and I looked at all those caramelized (laughs) onions and those crispy lemon rinds that I stuck in there, Mm -hmm. and I thought, I cannot do this. So the first thing you do is remove your chicken to rest, and then you pour the potato water into that pan with all those, even the burnt little crispy parts, leave everything in there and put it on to simmer with the potato water. And that's deglazing the pan because the best parts of that mm. chicken were stuck to the bottom of that pan. It was so good. And by the time you're done, your pan is clean. So you don't have oh, a cleanup handy. really because yeah. all of that comes off into that um, potato water, and you don't have to use potato water, but it really makes a better gravy if sure. you do. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, you can thicken it a little bit and then strain out that stuff, unless you like chunky gravy. Oh, I don't like chunky gravy. Yeah. But yeah, mm. and then that is um, that is called deglazing a pan. And anytime you do a pan fry first and then put something in the oven, they usually will ask you to deglaze the pan and you use that as your liquid in your roast or whatever um, you're cooking. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. yeah, definitely learn how to deglaze a pan. Oofta. And you can use wine, too, but I didn't yeah. happen to have any. Would, so. you, would you ever take that liquid and, and reduce it down and, and make a reduction, or are you more like you want to just use it right away, even if it's kind of thin? You know, funny you should ask that. Um, when we cook sausage, fry sausage, yeah, yeah. in the pan, we put water in there, cook it down, then you fry the sausage in there, and then you pull that out. And then you can take <laughs> that, that reduction is right there. And you take your bread and sop that stuff up and eat mm. that bread with just what's in the bottom of that pan. But definitely um, you're, you can reduce that to make your gravy better. You know, like put mm-hmm. the little bit of liquid in there and continue to cook it down a little bit. Or save it for soup sometime. There are, we never try to waste anything at our house. We recycle just yeah. about everything you can imagine in a pan. <laughs> I've been getting really into poached eggs lately. God, I, I love poached I eggs. Love poached oh my eggs. God, I love yes. poached eggs. Um, they, they are, they're like avocados where they're just be like, not ready, not ready, not ready. Boom, you're too late. <laughs> <laughs> like, you can't turn away from a poached egg. Weirdly enough, I just watched a Martha Stewart thing on eggs, Mm. like how to make a hard-boiled egg, how to fry an egg, how to make a French omelet, how to make Mm an American omelet. And she talked about poaching those eggs, and she just used... um, um, like biscuit cutter rings or oh, cookie rings she's in her. Such a genius! I know, right? And so, <laughs> you do have to kind of pay attention to them. But this this is an easy way to do this. Oh my gosh! I have a um, oh god, what are those called? Popover pans? Oh yeah. Um, it's ceramic. It was made by Jimmy Elmer, who is a pottery artist from Minnesota. Oh. And so I take you take uh, milk. And put it in, you could use, I suppose, a large muffin tin, too. And you put milk in there, 
and you drop an egg in there and bake that in the oven for like six minutes, and it's better than a poached egg because it has that milk in it. Interesting. Or cream. You could use cream if you happen to have cream. You said five, six minutes? Yeah. Yeah. How hot? Um, I think 350. I used just a regular 350 oven. Oh, my gosh. And then you can do multiples at once because that's the big thing. That's for a crowd. You end up eating at different times. Yes. So you could have like two muffin tins. Mm-hmm. worth of eggs in the oven and feed yeah. six people quite easily. Mm. Depends on whether you like two or three eggs in the morning. But, you know, you watch them. Some people don't like runny yolks. My grandmother used to hard boil her Easter eggs and I bit into one and the yolk ran down my oh, chin oh, and I thought I was going to die. <laughs> <laughs> Martha loves a real soft boiled egg. You know, she... T- oh, oh so here's good. We made... Um, I'm I had dinner at my house a couple weeks ago and made um, deviled eggs because somebody's hens were really laying, so I have this abundance of eggs. And so you know how your egg gets kind of that copper-colored or that greenish, icky color in the yolk? That's from boiling your eggs. So you put them in cold water, covered with water, bring it to a boil, take it off the burner. Six minutes is one doneness. Eight minutes is another doneness. Hard boil. About 17 minutes is what mm. I let it set. And then I pour the uh, water off and put cold water on, and, and they were perfect. They were yellow mm. yolks. I cannot remember the last time I had a soft-boiled egg. Oh, I, I just did eggs when I was a toast. kid, but oh. not, oh, yeah. not since. I will say the Instant Pot's kind of genius for soft-boiled eggs. You know, that's what I You just don't I have heard. to do anything. But I would it's... not recommend doing it in the air fryer. I tried that <laughs> once. Oh, my God. Yeah, no, I'm not kidding you. Somebody like said, you can, you can hard-boil an egg in an air fryer. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to hmm. give this a try. The next day, they were like rubber. They uh, would oh bounce. No. Oh, no. It was horrible. So I want to <laughs> ask you about uh, baking a little bit. Because, you know, on, we love on, to eat baked foods. <laughs> well, <laughs> yes, there. Why do you sound like the count from Sesame Street? Because uh, <laughs> I'm working on. Oh, never I was bad. thinking Cookie Monster and baking. OK, right. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Um, but but when you're kneading a dough and especially what would be is there a substantial difference kneading by hand or using the bread hook on a stand mixer? Um, I make all my sourdough by hand because using that dough hook, you can easily overmix. And mm. overmixing any dough uh, makes it harder. You know, like that's why pie crust is mixed for minimal amount of time because you don't want to encourage that gluten to stiffen up. But there, I do do that potato bread, my aunt's potato bread recipe in the mixer. Um, you just have to watch it. You can easily overmix that. Now, I know a lot of people who actually use their bread machines to mix dough, and then they take it out of there and bake it normally. Oh, interesting. Um, but I don't have one, and I don't have counter space for one. I love to knead bread dough. Mm-hmm. That's one of my favorite things to do. Bread machines were a thing about a couple decades ago, and we had one, and we, we, my wife and I just talked about this just over the weekend. 
and we don't anymore. Did they fall out of favor for any certain reason? I think they're probably coming back into favor mm-hmm. as people are kind of cooking more at home. And they're finding out that for crying out loud, bread is flour, water, and salt. Get over it, you know? <laughs> There's nothing to making bread. Yeah. If you love it when you need it, you have yeah. to put some love in. For me, it. I bake most of my bread by hand, but I make sandwich bread in the bread machine. I can't get a structurally sound sandwich bread Right, because you want that to be firmer than yeah, a, like a, just... especially a yeasted dough. Mm-hmm. Like I would never make Coogan dough in a mixer. Never, mm-hmm. ever, ever. Or bun dough because that, that to, in order to have a good light bun or a good fluffy Coogan crust, you really need to make sure that that dough doesn't get overworked. But you're right, for sandwich bread, um, anything you're going to slice, 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 then you want to definitely... Um, you can use your mixer. And so, it's a matter of, you know, how much flour you put in. You gotta mm-hmm. you know you gotta watch it. Yeah. You can watch it. So Sue, guess what I have been putting on? I'm just gonna go with every third thing that I've been eating lately. <laughs> <laughs> Trader Joe's umami powder. You know, I have never used that. I've heard the word used many times. I do use mushrooms, which are a uh, Umami. Mm-hmm. So tell me what you're putting it into. Uh, I put, well, popcorn, eggs, oh. toast, uh, mm. just butter. Like you can put, I put it on mushrooms, even though like it has a kind of a mushroomy flavor. And then pizza. It made it to the finishing station oh, of our wood fire pizza yum. operation. And it is like, it's everything I've put it on. I've got, oh. Yep, we just leveled up. We don't have a Trader's Joe here. Well, Trader we, we have here. to stock up when we go to Minneapolis. We don't have one either. Um, but well, this you is know, why you make friends who go to Minneapolis. Yes. <laughs> but we should explain to people very quickly yes. that you, unami, umami, umami. is mm-hmm. the fifth taste. There's sweet, salty, sour, bitter, and then that, <laughs> which is a fairly newcomer to the cooking scene. You know, like... Mm. I can't imagine Maybe my mom. Here. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine my mom ever even thinking about that because I don't think she ate mushrooms now that I think about it. Soy sauce is one of the umami flavors. Mm-hmm. And of course, if you have um, some people have problems with MSG, and that is a flavor enhancer in some. So you might want to read your labels there when you're yeah. buying that powder. Okay. So, yeah. All right. How do you use a zest? properly oh my gosh if you guys don't own a zester ask for one for christmas (laughs) there is nothing more handy in your cabinet than a zester especially if you're like me there's never more there's never less than five um lemons and one lime in my pantry tell me what a zester is well it's like a grater only it has a handle it's long and skinny and it easily takes the outside layer of a citrus fruit off whether it's an orange, a lemon, a lime. I don't usually use grapefruit zest, but um, it makes a nice, fine zest. And you don't want any of that bitter stuff. The bitter white part of your citrus fruit you don't want in your cooking. So zesters make that just so easy. So a lot of recipes will call for like a tablespoon of lemon zest, and then you juice the lemon, maybe use that in part of the mm-hmm. recipe. I'll just zest that whole stinking lemon and stick it in there because I just love that mm-hmm. flavor so much. Do you need to be using the lemon pretty quickly after you've zested it? Because obviously the rind is there for a reason. They do, yes, and they do dry out, but I keep them until I can't squeeze any juice out of them mm-hmm. anymore. And then I'll put them in my second ferment 
kumbacha. <laughs> kombucha. <laughs> kombucha. Hooch. I got to try to remember that. Just call it booch. Hooch, <laughs> yes. I offered some to my guests one day, and my husband turned around, and he's like, what? I don't know if he thought I had a distillery in the back or what. It's like, <laughs> it's just the kombucha, which... I listened to a podcast about that, and it actually kind of has some origins where my family has origins. Mm. So it's interesting. fairly interesting. Yeah. Less than a minute left here. Sue, how can you tell if your yeast is still viable? Well, there's two different kinds of yeast out there. One is an instant yeast, which is what I use, and one is the Fleischmann's yeast that you'll find at the grocery store. What you want to do is you want to take um, whatever the... A, you know, a quarter cup or half cup of water, your recipe will tell you to proof your yeast first usually when you're making bread. So you take that half a cup of warm water, and I'm talking about the temperature of a baby bottle on your wrist. That's a good indicator there. Put that yeast and a little bit of sugar in there and give it five minutes. If it does not perform, if it does not blow up and get all puffy and wonderful, throw it away. It's not it's good. Mm. Yes. It needs to start coming alive after five minutes, and it kind of puffs up a little bit, and that's when you want to introduce it to your recipe. And I always put my yeast in, mix some flour in before I add my salt, because salt and yeast don't act well together. They have to be in the same recipe, but usually I incorporate one first and then the other one second. And you can keep yeast in the freezer to keep it viable longer. Mm. Um, but I definitely like a fresher yeast. And if I could get fresh yeast anywhere in mm. this community, that is a whole different world of baking, fresh yeast. And that is not uh, real storable. Like, you have to use it quicker. Mm -hmm. And with my baking, I would. But I think on a normal person's cupboard, they probably couldn't do that. So fresh yeast is better. Yes. We check in with Sue Balcom once a week. Thank you, Sue. Thanks, hey, Sue. Thank you.